Yeah, yeah it's we got to uh, we got to pour some wine for this uh, interview. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys saw the uh, it was like an E60 that Jeremy Schaap did up at up at the winery, and uh, pretty funny while we're while we're recording, cracked a bottle of wine and sitting there, and you know I'm in the wine business. It's, you know I'm pretty used to, to drinking drink wine and functioning. Jeremy's not right, and so the uh, the his whole crew they're like, dude, we wanted you to open one more bottle of wine because Jeremy was going to slide right out of his chair. <laughs> uh, so the whole time we're doing the interview, um, we're sipping on wine, and by the end he was pretty loose, which was pretty fun. <laughs> That's so, awesome. Anyway, pour you a little cab for the uh, appreciate yeah, it. Thank for the you. interview. I went wine tasting one time, and at the end of it, I was pretty. Yeah, pretty if you really uh, if you're really uh, tasting on purpose, you got to. Uh, you got to monitor a bit. Not really. Matter, matter of fact, we found, we found that uh, like if we're tasting to figure out what's going to go into what blend, we have to spit. Otherwise, you dull your senses and you can't really uh, focus. So hey, don't worry. Hey, I poured a glass for the, uh, for the, the AV guy. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's important. Slow, yeah, cheers. Yeah. Be, hey. yeah, so I'm not very into wine yet. I'm trying mm. to get into it. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually making a little bit of a turnaround, getting, trying to you know, get acclimated to the taste. But... Uh, do you think you could give me a little wine introduction? Like Yeah, yeah. So I'll try to be as brief as I can because yeah. when you're in the wine business you can go uh, you can go as you can go super dorky. Uh, but wine's really about two things. It's about your, your soil and then your aspect to the sun and your and your climate, right? And it's really cool for me to find out that Walla Walla, which is the town I grew up in, actually has a perfect combination of both. We've got this really cool soil that has an amazing geological history. Matter of fact I I've kind of laughed now because when I was in college, um, Geology 101 was rocks for jocks, right? That's where you go to get an easy A and get your GPA up, right? Now I'm kind of a geology nerd, right? And I wish I would have paid more attention in school during geology class because now I look around at all this stuff. But, uh, but we've got a perfect climate for growing uh, wine grapes, and we've got this amazing soil that's really diverse. So we've got a bunch of different vineyards that give us kind of a palate to blend from, if you will. Um, and what we're aiming for across the board are wines that have... Uh, subtlety and balance and complexity. You know, you want uh, wines to get more interesting the more time you spend with them. So that's that's sort of the uh, that's the that's the as brief as I can throw it yeah. out there. Wine dork minute. I like it. I know a lot of people kind of like swirl yeah, it. Is there a way to do what's, it? what's the purpose of that? So we went. I've I've done this a few times and it can get so dorky. I mean, some of it like <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, and we talk about this a lot. Like we can be as dorky as we want, but ultimately it's about bringing pleasure. And so it's just got to taste good. Yeah. But, but there's a whole process you can go through. We actually start with the glass down here and get some aromatics from down here. And then you yeah. Get your nose in the glass and you, you know, pick up all these nuances and so on. And then you taste and you pay attention to where it hits your mouth. And I, it, it gets all super dorky. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just, all right, we're making wines that are pleasurable. And if we're making wines that are pleasurable, we make people happy. And that's actually the mission statement of our business. Our business doesn't have the word wine, or our mission statement doesn't have the word wine in it. It has the word happiness in it, um, and and uh, and so that's what we're trying to do. So, you know, we can do the geeky wine stuff, um, and we can be good at that too if you have that kind of crowd. But most people just want to try wine that they like and yeah. and appreciate and enjoy, and don't have to get into all the you know. Annoying have you always bullshit. been a big wine guy? When did you start getting into it? No, man. I mean, shoot. I was a broke college kid too, you know, uh, like we didn't, we bought whatever beer was the cheapest, right? Yeah. Um, and, uh, but then uh, when I got in the league and we had a few nickels in our pocket, we would order wine at dinner because that was, it's what you're supposed to do, right? You know, we're all grown up now, so we got to order wine. Still didn't appreciate. Uh, but then uh, we made our first trip actually to uh, Napa, to wine country and started to understand the whole process. And when you understand the whole process, it gets way more interesting. Um, and so then we started diving down that rabbit hole. And once I started diving down that rabbit hole, all of a sudden I figured out that my hometown was actually kicking ass, like making some of the in best wine. wines in the world. And we could prove it because we'd have all the ball players come over to the house. And everybody was kind of into wine. And so they would bring bottles of red wine. And everybody's pretty competitive. So they'd bring something expensive from Napa or something expensive from Bordeaux. And I would grab something from Walla Walla and we would do blind tastings. We'd put all the wines in paper bags. And then at the end, we would reveal which wine we voted for, and the Walla Walla wines would win. Like every time oh, we did cool. this. Oh, that's cool. It doesn't matter about how expensive it yeah, was. Exactly, yeah, exactly, right? And so, like, shit, my hometown is kicking ass. So, 
that was sort of when the light bulb went off that, hey, maybe after football's over, you know, could go back home and, get, and start a wine business, but really make real wine, not just, you know, some like another endorsement deal, you know? Yeah. How, how cool is that, being able to make your own wine business in your hometown and being able to make some of the best wine in the world there. So that's it's, pretty cool. Honestly, Max, it's super, super meaningful to us because, you know, Josh is our winemaker. He's also from Walla Walla, go Blue Devils, right? And uh, it's meaningful to us, but it also there's added pressure to it, you know, because as the hometown kid that got to go make a name for himself, if I make a shitty product and don't represent my town well, it's not just about me. I'm representing my home. I'm representing my hometown. Yeah. yeah. You know, so it adds a, a, a weight of responsibility to our business that we take really seriously. That's cool. so. Walla Walla is a pretty small town, right? Yeah, it's about thirty thousand people. Thirty thousand. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, what was it like, like starting and playing football there, and thinking bigger than just your small little town? Well, I mean, let's be honest. Like, you know, most of us grow up with dreams of being a professional athlete right you know you're a little kid you're at recess throwing the ball around or shooting hoop or playing soccer or whatever it is um and you know for me growing up in walla walla you know that's not very realistic you know we're out in the middle of nowhere um and i grew really fast i was tall and skinny and clumsy and um you know if you saw me in like eighth grade you would not have said that dude's going to be a pro athlete um, but I had those dreams and then, uh, you know, as I started to grow into my frame a little bit and figured out I could throw it a little bit, um, you know, college became a realistic thing, you know, playing college ball. Um, but it wasn't really until my freshman year at Wazoo that jumping to the NFL became like a real thing, you know, where I could possibly do that. Yeah. Like, did you, before you even touched a football, did you have dreams saying, I want to become a football player. Oh, hell yeah. You know, we go to recess in fourth grade and play touch football, which we, you know, like everybody else, it turned into tackle football when the recess monitor wasn't watching, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, I was Terry Bradshaw at practice, right? You know, I'm Terry Bradshaw. You know, they get the Bradshaw bullet, you know. Yeah. Like, and, uh, yeah, so, you know, I was a little kid like everybody else, man. I was playing all the different sports, but football was kind of always my favorite. And, uh, yeah, dreamed about that from the time I was – for as long as I can remember, I dreamed about playing pro sports. And, and uh, then it became a reality for me, man, and it was absolutely awesome. And did your dad play a big influence in your development and kind of influence you, you to want to play? You know, wanting to play was never a, it was never a question. Because my dad was a football coach, so I grew up on the football field. Um, and I kind of learned about football like other kids would learn what a – like a fork or a spoon is you know it was just kind of part of our language um so i knew a lot about football coming up um and uh but it was never a question of me wanting to play i think if i had not wanted to play it would have been fine but i just you know i think my sixth grade year i was in seven sports though seven yeah i was a swimmer uh i actually wrestled which is really funny to look back on now because i was skinny as heck um ran track uh played baseball basketball we didn't have football so i played soccer Jeez. and i'm trying to there's and what am i missing maybe that's it is that seven or six god i just know it was a lot you know i was doing a little bit of everything parents must have loved driving you everywhere <laughs> well the good thing back then the only one we actually had to travel for in sixth grade it wasn't like it is now where you're traveling and all this everything else was just local it's just kind of like that's why you could do it yeah uh the traveling for the swim meet sucked though I was a swimmer and I still knew it sucked. You go spend a full weekend, you know, in some stinky gym in Spokane or Yakima and uh, you go swim for a minute and a half and then go back and hang out for another. It was, yeah, it was, it was, it was shitty. So I, that's how I knew my parents loved me because they put up with swim meets. Yeah. Did Walla Walla breed athletes or are you kind of an outlier there? Uh, so I think there have been a grand total in the history of Walla Walla three uh professional football players um peter sermon came after me and then way way back in the day um a guy named mike murr murr the blur uh that uh so no uh, you know it was actually more of a uh, more of a basketball town than uh than than anything else you know wheat fields just like you're in indiana right you yeah. know you get a bunch of 
you know, slow white kids that can shoot and play defense. It was very fundamental basketball. It was not high-flying basketball. It was yeah. bounce passes and rebounds and, you know, matchup zone defense. And, you know, we were not winning the fast break, but we were pretty good and went to state pretty much every year. So how do you get into, like, the eyes of a college coach when you're from Walla Walla? Is there sending Man, it was or? it was way harder back in the day. Yeah. Like, you couldn't just go on huddle and, like, put your video out and, yeah. you know, send out a tweet, check out my – my uh, huddle highlights um my dad and i we actually had our own vcr and then we borrowed another vcr and we sat there with these old vcr tapes and dubbed them on there and made like just these grainy crappy uh highlight videos and sent them around to some schools the only one that that i sent it to that didn't recruit me was ucla because they had a quarterback named tommy maddox at the time who they thought was their future but um terry donahue god rest your soul uh, actually wrote my dad a nice letter after the fact is like Man, I, I dropped the ball. I should have recruited your kid. <laughs> so when did you get an offer from Washington State? Were you always – did you so, always well, have a desire? So, yeah, you know, again, so, and again, back, in, back then, back in the old days, um, it wasn't like it is now. You didn't commit when you were a freshman or a sophomore in high school, right? It, it really didn't happen until senior year. Um, I took four trips um, to the Huskies. My dad was a Husky, played ball for the Huskies, so I had to, you know, at least make that trip. And they were, they were uh, Stanford. I actually got into Stanford. I like to hold that over wow. some people's heads from time to time. Like, I know you think I'm an idiot because I went to Wazoo, but, uh, you know, I actually got into Stanford too. <laughs> and then I took a trip to Miami because Dennis Erickson, who was the coach at Wazoo in 88, knew about me because there was right in the neighborhood. And then he went to Miami to coach the Hurricanes. I knew I wasn't going to go to Miami. It was way too far from home. Um, but I wasn't going to turn down a trip to South Beach yeah. in the middle of the winter in Walla Walla. Uh, so I took those four trips uh, and then uh, finally made my decision. I want to say it was like January or February of my senior year. Um, and it was down to two. It was either Washington or Washington State. Um, and uh, both coaches showed up at the same time, which was kind of awkward. Um, so Gary Pinkle was the, uh, the guy that was recruiting me from the University of Washington. And John McDonnell from Wazoo showed up at the same exact time. And so house? I went to, no, to the school. Oh, like, to and the, so I went to the, uh, the PE, PE teacher's office, and they're and they're both standing there. I was like, all right, Gary, I want to. I better meet with you first. And his, he just went, oh shit, because he knows if he's going first, he's getting the bad news, mm -hmm. right? Um, so like that was kind of my first big boy decision that I had to like tell some adults something. Were you kind of the man walking around in yeah, the, in the high school halls? I don't know, man. I mean, I I, I suppose so, but. You know, it's still high school. You know, so you still get you still get hazed just as bad as everybody else does. Um, and then I had to go play basketball, and I was the sixth man on our basketball team because we were we were pretty good at hoops. So I, it's funny though because in, in uh, football, you know, I'm the quarterback, I'm the princess, right? In football, in basketball, I was the enforcer. You know, I was like the the, uh, the Walla Walla version of Dennis Rodman. I'd go in and get some rebounds and play some defense and foul their best player a couple times and go sit back down. That's awesome. So you commit to Washington State. Have a hell of a career there. Pac-10 Offensive Player of the Year. Yeah. Talk to me about that experience, kind of playing for your home state. and uh, It was cool, man. And one of the reasons that – I mean, the ultimate reason I went there was for a coach. Mike Price was my coach. I love him. But it was also really cool because I was two and a half hours from home. So all the people that I grew up with, all the people that helped raise me in this little small town, they could actually show up and watch games. So that part was really fun. Sounds like we got an emergency outside. Uh, but that part was really fun because it was, you know, we, we had some success my third year. Uh, and everybody was able to go along on the ride, you know. Uh, yeah. And that part was really, really cool. Um, and then after my, uh, after my third year, uh, declared early for the draft. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it sort of became apparent over the course of that year that the two worst teams were the Seahawks and the Patriots. Hawks are my team, baby. Yeah. No. Well, they're, they're rebuilding right now. You're gonna, yeah. you're gonna you're gonna have to wait for a minute. Yeah. No. Uh, the uh, the uh, um, but uh, it was it was gonna be me and uh, Rick Meyer uh, from Notre Dame. We're gonna be the top two picks, and both the teams that were picking first needed quarterbacks. So we knew we were either gonna go first or second. Um, and uh, went back for the draft in New York City. Um, First of all, figured out that Rick and I were really good friends. We basically grew up exactly the same way. He grew up in a small town with his dad as a football coach. Um, so they played us up as rivals, and we actually became great buddies, and we still are. Um, 
But, uh, yeah, we went back for the draft. It was the first time that um, my brother, my mom, and dad, and I were all on an airplane together. Um, wow. Our vacations growing up were in a station wagon, not on airplanes. Um, went back to New York City. We're walking around Times Square in the middle of the night, not knowing we were about to get mugged. You know, just kind of looking up at the tall buildings. Um, it was pretty funny. And then uh, I think I was the last first overall pick to not wear a suit because I didn't own a suit. No way. Yeah, so yeah, you, could, you guys go find some pictures. Uh, it's pretty that. funny. I'm wearing like some jeans and a red shirt <laughs> and some sneakers. Uh, and uh, yeah, but it was definitely small town family goes to uh, New York. And uh, yeah, the draft opened and like 20 seconds later, Paul Tagliabue says first pick in the 1993 NFL draft, New England Patriots take Drew Bledsoe from Washington State. Uh, and uh, I remember I stood up and it happened so quickly that my mom is kind of sitting at the table, kind of looking around, can't figure out what's going on. And my dad had his video camera and he couldn't get his video camera off, his, off of his hand. My brother's off doing whatever. And uh, so I ended up hugging my agent. Like that was, that was like the first hug I got when I got drafted was my agent. Um, but yeah, then it was a whirlwind and got to New England and yeah, it was, it was awesome, man. It was, a, it was a really, really cool thing. Those emotions gotta be insane. Not many people on this earth get to experience being the number one overall pick. Like yeah, that's, that's it was pretty, pretty neat, man. It was, it was neat. It's a pretty small club and, and uh, um, you know, I mean, let's be honest, you get picked first at recess, it feels good. Yeah. You know, but when you're the number one pick in the draft, it's uh, it's a pretty cool thing, man. And we, uh, we, uh, and it was, it was fun. It, you know, there's a lot that comes with it. There's a lot of pressure. And plus, you know, you're going to a bad team. They're picking first because they were the worst team the year before. Um, so I knew it was going to be an uphill battle, but, um, you know, we fought through it. And, and uh, second year we made the playoffs. So it was, uh, yeah, it, it was, it was, a, it was, a, it was a good ride. Yeah. So did you go to the Patriots with the mindset of turning it around? And oh, of course, yeah, of so course. You want to yeah. be the man right away and just seven-year yeah. postseason drought, right? Yeah, they hadn't been in the postseason for a while, and they they'd gone like one and fifteen and two and fourteen, and uh, you know when when I got there, I don't think they'd sold out their stadium in like five or six years, um, and I think they've sold out every game since that season. Wow. Um, but we had a young team. You know, we were the definitely the underdogs, and uh, our facilities were the worst in the league by far. It was awful, dude. Um, but we had, like, a really cool kind of collegiate underdog mentality when we got there. A bunch of young dudes trying to trying to climb, and, uh, and we did. You know, we made the playoffs the second year. We were in the Super Bowl my fourth year. Um, and, uh, yeah, things were things – were, Things were things were ripping, and then we had a little downturn, and they drafted this kid out of uh, Michigan in the uh, sixth round that wasn't scaring anybody at that point. Man, he was just a skinny little dude that I figured was going to be around for a while, but I didn't figure he was ever going to be a starter. And then I got then I got hurt in one and uh, Tom Brady came in, and next thing you know, he's playing pretty good, and, and turns out he's still playing pretty good as a 45 year old. So. Um, I guess if somebody's going to uh, somebody's going to steal your job, you want them to go on to be one of the best ever. So oh, of course, man. No, our teams that we were on, you know, we we kind of turned that culture around. Yeah. Um, and then uh, and then they went on to be, you know, one of the greatest dynasties, you know, in modern sports history there for for a long time. But but those teams that I was a part of early on really kind of set the tone for that culture. Uh, of expecting to win before Tom Brady comes in like what is it like being the face of the franchise and being beloved by thousands and thousands of fans like yeah. Super Bowl like, like that's yeah. good. like yeah. you took the team this Super yeah Bowl. you were that yeah. reason so what yeah. is that like that's you know it's it's pretty crazy um and Boston is a crazy sports town um you know they they're really into it it's more of a religion back there than it is just uh, you know a pastime Celtics Celtics, Celtics, Red, Celtics, Red Sox, um, Bruins, and, and the Patriots. And the Patriots were definitely number four in that sports market when we got there. And now they're – I think they're actually maybe number one now. The Red Sox are still hard to take down because it's such a baseball town. Um, but it was cool, man. It was um, – I always had perspective on it. You know, I knew it wasn't real. You know, you always had to keep in mind, and I got this from my parents growing up, and, and uh, you know, that, and, and especially as it um, – you know, as it started to look like I was going to have some success and go, you know, I always made sure not to get that 
football player confused with the real person. You know, you don't tie your value to whether you won or lost in the last game. You know, you take it super serious and give it everything you got, but you have to understand that that's going to ebb and flow, and you got to keep your you know, your, your soul intact and then keep in touch with who you are as a person. Um, the guys that have really struggled over the years that I've watched are guys that get that confused. You know, they tie up their their personal self-worth with the day-to-day success in their sport. And that can be true in business as well. You know, you, you, you know business is going to go good. It's going to go bad. Things are going to be great. Things are going to be shitty, you know. But you've got to be able to separate your day-to-day success from who you are as a person. Um, and if you do that, then you set yourself up for, you know, ultimate personal success. And it also translates to your professional life if you can keep that perspective and, and keep your values, your morals, uh, and who you are as a person intact through the whole thing. And that's what I've been so inspired by you about, like getting to know you over the past few years is how humble you are and mm-hmm. your work ethic. And yeah. you've raised an amazing family, have a great wife, and you can really see that. So mm-hmm. it definitely shows. You know, it's, it's um, yeah. I mean, I've been super, super blessed in my life in so many ways. Um, you know, growing up with a great mom and dad and being surrounded by good people. And, you know, still on my first marriage. Uh, you, you know, know and, uh, and she still likes me most of the time. Um, you know, and so I've, I've been super blessed in, 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 in so many ways. Um, so you, you met know, Mara at Washington met State, Met Mara right? at Wazoo, yeah, yeah. We were buddies first and then started dating. She started reading the draft reports and she started pursuing me. <laughs> I, I can say that cause she's not here. Uh, but the, uh, um, but, uh, yeah, you know, it's, um, it's been a, it's been a really cool life. I will tell you the, the, the word humility is a, is an interesting one to me. Um, you know, cause that gets, that gets thrown around and it's, and it's always, it's always flattering to hear that. But you know, to me, I, I've always felt like humility is the ultimate, expression of confidence um you know because you know, I'm, I'm confident i know who i am um and uh um uh, but i don't need i don't need outside validation to know that you know um and again that's where you know guys would start the guys that that, that struggled would look for outside validation you know um they needed somebody else to tell them they were great or tell them they were a good person or whatever um i've never felt like i needed that and because then you know then the other stuff could ebb and flow um but i knew who i was i didn't have to look outward for that and so the the humility thing is funny because people that 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 are humble in the world are actually probably way more confident than the people that appear as braggadocious and uh and so on seeing what like pro athletes and like the online like social media part of it now and like the showing off and stuff on there must just be crazy for you to see it would be so hard man i i i you know i those guys they have to they, they in this world that they're living in and that you guys live in too that, that i mean everybody in your generation is dealing with this stuff um you know, and again, it kind of ties back to what I was saying earlier. You know, everybody projects to the world this perfection, you know, this uh, and, uh, uh, you know, and it's not real, you know. And, and uh, uh, the hard the hard part would be, you know, for me, you know, when I was playing, all we had was sports radio where people could call in and they could call in and voice their opinion and, and uh, you know, bitch about what's going on with the team. Or th- Now everybody's got a microphone, you know, and everybody's got an opinion about this, that, and the other thing. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming that all of those guys have to turn, you know, they have to turn their comments off because if you started diving into that, you'd end up so pissed oh, off at everybody. be a wormhole. Because you know, it doesn't matter, doesn't matter yeah. how great you are, there's going to be somebody that's going to, you know, come in and talk shit about you, you know. Um, so, yeah, it would be a hard thing. You'd have to make a, a very conscious effort to, uh, to make sure you put that in its right in the right box. Are some yeah. of these guys forced to make an online presence for themselves to build a brand, or is it just personal choice? What do you say? I think it's I think it's almost always personal choice. I know that a lot of them are um, like their their agents and representatives will help them with it. Um, but you know, the guys that do it right, they have a very intentional way of doing it. You know, like they're they're putting stuff out to the world in an intentional way. Um, the guys that do it wrong, you know, they get in, they jump in and 
getting battles with people on Twitter and, and like, dude, come on, man. That's just the, you don't need to waste your time doing that. Uh, one, one guy I think does a really good job of it is Justin Herbert. He went yeah. to Oregon. I, you know, I love, you know what? I, as much as I hate the Ducks, I, I'm a huge Justin Herbert fan. Yeah. And you guys know I hate the Ducks for Let's very, go Ducks, very. Baby. Come you know, on, you know, you know, you know, you know, I hate the Ducks for a very personal reason, right? Because in the early '90s, the Ducks were awful at football. Like they were the team that everybody talked about kicking them out, making them go to the Big Sky. It was like get rid of the Ducks and the Beavers because they suck, right? But they played great against me, and I take that super personally. So I've hated the Ducks since my fresh. Or actually, I played against them my sophomore year at Autzen. They beat us. And then I don't know if they won another game until the Civil War that year. Jeez. So I just took it personal, man. I felt like they were picking on me on purpose. Yeah, so, so you know, it's, I, I, I have so many friends that are Ducks. And, and, but, man, I will never, ever, unless I have, like, a blood relative that plays for the Ducks, I will never <laughs> cheer for the Ducks. It well, would have to be, like, one of my kids or a nephew or something. One, one uh, what was that, a few years ago, 2018, Washington State, Oregon college game day you got to be a part of that I thought that was super cool yeah. it was cool man I was I was actually really impressed with our fans up there because I look nuts you know going to school in Pullman I mean, it was a party school you know I mean all schools are party schools but Wazoo was a particularly you know it was a party school I thought we were going to get there and there'd be people passed out on the lawn I thought it was going to be a complete mess um, but they were actually super well behaved and represented the school really, really well. It looked great on uh, on TV. On and TV, it looked like it was. Oh man, it crazy. was it was off the chain. But they but they were they were appropriate. You know, I thought it was going to be a mess. You know, um, and they they just really represented our school so well when we were there. Um, and that was a cool environment to be a part of. I'll tell you a quick story. This can go in or stay out, but no, um, but it's uh, but it's funny about that day. So we had coached high school football the night before in Salem, and uh, me and uh, uh, Oregon great Tony Graziani, uh, who was coaching with me, drove back that night. And uh, as we're driving back, they send me the list of the games I have to pick. So we're going over the games we got to pick. As I'm driving, I'm like, you know, whatever. The next morning, they pick us up early, early, you know, like 4.45 in the morning, um, send a plane for us. We fly up there. We land at the Pullman Airport, and the Pullman Airport to campus is like seven or eight minutes. Like, it's really close. But we're super tired. They put us in two Suburbans, and they drive as fast as the Suburbans will go from the airport to downtown. Like, they're going well over 100 miles an hour on these country roads. So we get there, and we're, I'm freaked out now because I go from being tired on the plane to being super freaked out, thinking I'm going to die. And then we pull up and, you know, we get there and, uh, you know, they put the little headphone in, so I'm listening. And so right before I'm going on, they play this story about this kid, and I forget his name, this kid from Purdue that's dying, that is a huge Purdue fan. And they play the story, and it's a super emotional story. So now I um, go from tired to adrenaline to now I'm crying right before I have to go on to go talk about, you know, the Cougs. And uh, so I, you know, get on stage. And so I, I was like, all right, well, I got to switch my pick. I've got to take Purdue now after I watch this. And they were playing Ohio State and Purdue took them down that day. Right. Wow. So that flipped my picks. And I think I, I think I ended up that year as the uh, I, I, I was I, I had the best record uh, picking games that day, but mostly because I flipped my Purdue pick and uh, took them to beat Ohio State was they were huge dogs but it was freaky man I was just I hit the stage and I'm like dude I was shaking on adrenaline then I was crying and now I got to go on stage (laughs) yeah and you guys ended up beating us ended up beating the Ducks once in a rare blue moon you know but I think we were on a pretty hot streak against you guys at that point I think it was like four in a row or something yeah we were I I never thought we would ever beat the Ducks again there for a while and then we I think we beat you guys like four times in a row which Made life in Bend, Oregon a lot easier uh, yeah, with all I these duck fans. Uh, we had a little hot streak there for a while. I don't know if we'll ever beat the Ducks again, but it was fun for a while. Oh, you never know. Um, so Where are we at, Eric? Oh, we're good. 30? Okay. You got time. Because I want to get those the questions. No, yeah. So I kind of want to go back to when you were playing in the NFL. I know you're a big family man. What was it like kind of balancing being a husband and a father, raising kids, along with the stress of – yeah. trying to win games and practicing every day you know it was the 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 family piece of it was was honestly really nice because when i got home you know the the kids were little they didn't 
know or care what had happened, you know, in the last game. So when I got home, all the football stuff stayed outside the door. And I made a really conscious effort during that time that I wouldn't come in the house until I was ready to be in the house, you know. And my, my commute in, uh, um, in all three places that I played, my commute was a little bit over 20 minutes. And that was usually enough time to listen to some music, decompress, maybe make a phone call or whatever. But I would get home, and if I wasn't ready to go in the house, and Mara knew this, if I wasn't ready to go in the house, I would stay in my car until I was ready to go in the house. Because when I get in the house, all of a sudden, it's, you know, it's little kids. They want to play with dad. They don't, they don't care you know, what happened that day. And uh, so I always made a conscious effort to separate the two again um, so that, that football stayed outside of the house. How important was Mara during that process? She, she, was, she, was, uh, a rock she was She was. She was. She uh, was. She was my rock. I know that's a cliche, but that's the truth. Um, and uh, and she also knew when things were going good and when things weren't. You know, and so um, you know if things weren't going very well, and I and I got home, even though I was trying to be ready to be home, she would know that I needed maybe a little bit of time, and so she would you know take the kids for a walk or something like that while I got to just chill for a second now she was yeah she was uh, I, I tell any any and every young person I talk to you're gonna make a lot of decisions in your life the only one that is going to truly shape your life is who you pick to share it with uh, when you pick a spouse if you pick the right one you can kind of get through whatever if you pick the wrong one you can be a billionaire and your life's gonna suck um, and so I always, you know, and I tell that to our kids. I tell everyone, like, look, you pick the right one. You know, you can kind of get through anything, um, you know, as long as you're standing shoulder to shoulder. You pick the wrong spouse, and we've all we've seen this. You guys have probably seen this in families that you know. You know, everything on the outside could be perfect, but if it's not cool between the two parents, man, they're just not happy people, you know. So I got lucky on that front. I'm interested in Robert Kraft a bit. I'm, I know you have a good relationship with him, and he's kind of iconic after the Patriots' long stretch and yeah. building a dynasty. What is that like? He's a really, really good person, and he's a really interesting person. And one of the things that um, that have a lot that has allowed the Patriots to be so good for so long, a lot of NFL owners um, they either come from like generational money. Or they have a business that makes them enough money to buy a, a pro sports franchise. But a lot of them then leave their business principles outside when it comes to running their teams. Um, which is sort of funny, right? Because, you know, all right, you've got to be built enough success to buy an NFL team by having good business principles in a lot of cases. Um, and then they just forget all their business principles. And, and Robert Kraft never did that. He's, he's run it like a a business um, from the start um, he cares about every last piece of what they do like right down to the concessions like at their stadium um, they run they they're the only I think they're the only NFL team that controls their own concessions because they want the quality of the food to be elevated right uh, you know and so he he's a uh, very very uh, conscientious about everything he does within the organization from how they manage the salary cap to how they manage parking and everything in between, um, and on top of that, he's just a he's just a really good person, and and, and has been a uh, you know since I left there, we've become a lot closer, and, and uh, he's a good friend. Um, we probably we probably talk to each other at least every couple months. Sometimes it's just hey man, just checking in and tell you I love you. I right, love you too. See ya. You know I mean, but he's uh, he's a special person. I love him. That's cool. that's awesome. I do think sports can bring out like. Not an idiotic side, but like a really passionate side in some people. So maybe yeah. it's the same for the owners where they're still thinking about it like it's outdoor football. And Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's a true statement. For some of them, it just becomes a really expensive toy, Yeah, you know, that they get to play around with. And, and, and uh, Kraft has always run it like a business. What was Buffalo like? I remember hearing dude, you say we, it's like a college town. Dude, we loved Buffalo. And it's so funny because I think pretty much every player that goes and plays for the Bills – has a similar experience you know when you um when you think about going to buffalo you're like oh shit i'm going to, i'm getting exiled to buffalo new york and then once you get there you discover it's awesome it is it's like playing pro ball in a college town um, wow. the fans are super um, 
supportive, but they're not all up in your business. You know, in Boston, they want to be in your business. If you're sitting down having dinner, they want to sit down at the table and tell you what you did wrong the last game. You know, in Buffalo, they, they just want to like, hey, good luck this week. If they buy you, if they buy, if you're like, if you're at a bar in Buffalo, if they buy you a beer, you're expected to buy them a beer. It's not like, you know, it's not just, it's, they just, you're part of the community. And it was a, it was a really cool place to play. Is that your favorite team or do you not have a favorite? Oh, I, I, you know, I'm mean, always be more closely associated with the Pats yeah. for sure. Um, but at that point in our life where we had family, we're not looking for nightlife. We're not looking for big city. It was the perfect place for us to be at that time, uh, which was cool. Buffalo is looking good this year. I think Super they're going to be strong again, man. Yeah. I, that broke my heart last year when they lost in the AFC Championship game. That game, game was in insane. Such tragic fashion. And because uh, the Bengals had won the week before, the AFC Championship game was going to be in Buffalo, and I was going to go. I like, dude, I have, to, I have to be in Buffalo when they do this because those people have been waiting for this forever, and they were gonna, it was going to be insane. What are your thoughts on the overtime rules? Getting, you know, I've always loved the college overtime rules. I think those are exciting, right? Yeah. You know, both teams get an equal chance from the 35. Um, you know, I they they changed, they tweaked them a little bit. Um, you know, where at least if it's a field goal, you get everybody else gets a chance. And now, I think in the playoffs, every every each team's going to get a possession now. Going forward, I think is how they is how they've changed it. Yeah. But I would love to see him go to the college, the, the college overtime rules. I think those games are super exciting. It's great drama. Yeah. So unbelievable NFL career. Looking back on it, what did you appreciate most about your time in the NFL? You know, I think the thing, uh, I mean, I loved so much of it, man. It, it's the coolest friggin' experience. Um, but I think the thing that was most meaningful to me was it's the most diverse group of people that I can think of that get put together to work toward a common goal. Um, you know, I mean, in college, it's, you know, a lot of times, it means maybe not so much for the huge programs, but so much in college, it's still kind of regional. Um, you know, West Coast kids usually go to West Coast schools and so on. But in the NFL, everybody comes from all over the country, all kinds of backgrounds. You know, like the year we went to the Super Bowl in 96, you know, we had a left tackle, uh, Bruce Armstrong from – uh, that grew up in Miami with bullets flying around, you know. Then we had, he was next to uh, uh, Todd Rucci, who grew up in, you know, Upper Darby, Pennsylvania, outside of Philly. Then you had Pat Harlow at right tackle, who was a surfer boy from uh, Southern California. You had Max Lane, um, who was from uh, a town in Missouri that's so small that when we, can't, when we played the Chiefs on Sundays, they canceled church because everybody was going to watch Max play. Wow. Um, and so you have like this really diverse group of people that, you know, in pretty much any other line of work that I can think of, um, you know, you would never be thrown into that group. Like I would never be great friends. I mean, never say never, but it would have been a really coincidental thing if I became great friends with Bruce Armstrong in any other walk of life. Um, and we're great friends. Um, so that part was really, really cool, and it was a great education. And I think it's also, you know, not to go too far on the soapbox, but it's a, it's a great model for some of the stuff that's going on in the world right now where there's this, and I think it's, a lot of it is not even real, but there's this um, perception of divisiveness in the world, uh, particularly in America, but I think it's kind of worldwide. In that locker room, it wasn't about hey we're all the same it was like man you grew up really different than me I want to know about that and I want to learn about it and respect it you know it wasn't about not having differences it was like no let's learn about the differences let me learn how you you know how you view the world and respect that and learn from you um, you know and then we can we can we can disagree on stuff but I'm going to know about it um, and it was, it's a, it was a really, really cool thing to be in that environment and, and uh, you know, end up with a group of friends that would have been unfathomable for a kid from Walla Walla, Washington, you know? Yeah. So that part was really, really cool. There is something about sports that you just get close to people so quick. All my friends throughout life have been, like, made over sports, and I'm still best friends with them today. Absolutely. Yeah. I always push back when people compare it to the military. Um, like, hey, we're going to war. We're like, yeah, nobody's going to die, right? You know, I mean, that's not, but, but when you, and I've spent time with, with quite a few, you know, military people, 
and they actually will say like yeah no outside of the fact that there's the real risk of death and in, in going into to war the camaraderie and how you have to depend on your teammates is very very similar um and you because of that you know my life was in the hands of these guys in front of me right you know they and uh uh, I knew that they knew that and uh, you develop a connection that's different than you develop in most other things How have you seen the game change over time? You know they, the um, I'm a little bit jealous of the guys that get to play quarterback now because they can't freaking hit them You know, <laughs> uh, you know they come by and give them a dirty look and the flag comes out um, uh, But the changes that they've made are really really good uh, for the future of the game because when you get guys that are that big, that fast, that strong, if they are allowed to run into each other at full speed, somebody was going to die on the field, right? And so they've made uh, they've made really good changes, um, you know, to the game. Uh, makes it more fun to watch. There's more points, more throwing, um, which that's fun to watch. I still like watching the great quarterbacks. Um, and then everybody's into fantasy football, so you need more fantasy points, right? Fantasy football yeah. is so yeah. fun. That is yeah. huge right now. I'm shitty at it, by the way. I'm not good at fantasy football. Yeah. <laughs> it's tough to predict. You know, yeah. anything can go wrong. One thing I also thought was really cool is you retiring with the fifth most passing yards in NFL yeah. history. Is that correct? Yeah, I was okay. I was in the top ten in, in uh, most of the uh, – in all of the uh, career, you know, passing stuff when I retired. Could have kept playing, um, but honestly, I was really, and that's where the transition to the wine business comes. It wasn't that I didn't want to play football anymore. It was that I was ready to go see what was next, and I wanted to see if I could be successful again um, in something that wasn't based on my right arm. Um, and uh, so when I made the decision to uh, to leave football, uh, it wasn't, and it's, and it's funny because, uh, you know, the definition of retirement is actually not stopping it's it's you know or graduation sorry you know graduation means you're moving on to the next thing i guess retirement does that i was thinking of the word graduation so i graduated from the nfl i didn't retire from the nfl yeah um and you know moved on to the next thing yeah well we don't want to take up too much of your time but i do have some questions that i think the audience would like to hear yeah um, for sure some like speed questions kind of <laughs> yeah but any funny locker room stories oh, i'm man. sure you had a oh, lot man. of those that's the other thing that that I, I do and will always miss. And I've got a little bit of a locker room here with my friends and, and, and Ben. We talk a lot of trash. But the locker room was a really, really funny place, dude. It was I, so – and bet. Most NFL football players are actually really smart. Like, you, you actually have to be able, be, able, be able to think on your feet really quickly. And because of that, the guys were funny, man. And Just you, going back and forth. Oh, dude. And if you had, if you had any chink in your armor – uh, man, they would they would wear you out. <laughs> you know, my deal. I've, I've got a big head. Um, I claim because that's I'm I'm really smart. But but uh, you know, Mike Williams, probably the funniest guy I ever played with. Big defensive lineman from North Carolina. The one time he looked, I was kind of chirping at him, and uh, he looked at me. He goes, "Bledsoe, your head is so damn big. When you put on a turtleneck, you got to put it on feet first. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, dude, that's not – and at that point – and once somebody does that to you, you just have to go sit down. Like, there's no coming back <laughs> yeah. from that, right? And Eric Moulds in, uh, in Buffalo, I saw him. He was walking around behind practice one day, and he was walking up to people, and he'd say something to him, and they'd start laughing. And he walked to somebody else, he'd say something to him, and they'd start laughing. Finally, man, what's going on? Well, he was walking around, and he was asking people. He was like, all right, you've got to answer right now. Would you rather have a million dollars – or Bledsoe's helmet full of nickels. <laughs> I'm like, dude, that's not, that's not fair. Um, the practical jokes got out of hand for a little while, which was pretty fun. The, uh, uh, my best buddy from the, my playing days, Todd Rucci, he and Scott Zolak, who was my backup quarterback, they decided to bury my truck in snow. We had a snowstorm. And so they went out and spent hours. And I got out there, and you couldn't even see my truck. There was just a snowbank. And so they poked the bear a little bit. So uh, on Christmas Eve... Um, Rucci came in. I went to his locker. I grabbed his house key and gave it to one of our interns. She went and met the moving company at his house, and they moved every single thing in his apartment, including the pictures off the walls, the silverware, everything in his house, moved it into his basement. And so when he went home, he had this little dog. He went home, and all that was in his apartment was his little dog sitting on the floor and a picture of me. 
<laughs> on Christmas Eve. And so he came to my house for Christmas Eve dinner that night, and he wouldn't talk to me the whole night, which made me so happy. He was like, oh, yeah, I actually really pissed him off this time. And he went home that night, and all he wanted to do was sleep in his house. And he's an NFL offensive lineman, one of the strongest guys in the world. He was trying to carry his king-size mattress up the stairs by himself, and he couldn't do it. So he's sweating and cussing, and he went and stayed at a Motel 6 on Christmas Eve. What? I was like, that's it. That's don't, awesome. poke, don't poke the bear. And he, didn't, he, he never messed with me after that. That seems like something that goes Holy on God. with my college buddies. I mean, we have plenty of times where we mess around with They're them. They're fun, man. They're a, good, fun. A, good, a good practical joke is really fun. Oh, you got to you know, ease up and live, live young. Uh, most memorable game? Oh man! In the in the pros, uh, there are two that come to mind. In '94, we were three and six, wasn't looking good, and we were down twenty to three at halftime against the uh, the Vikings. Um, and we came out in the second half and went two minute offense the whole second half. Came back and beat them in overtime. Got to throw the ball seventy times, which I think is still a record. Really? I think even with all the all those stuff now, I think that's still the most pass attempts in a game. Um, came back and beat him on the last or you know, it's overtime, so touchdown pass and, and uh, that one. And then the year that I got hurt when uh, when Tommy came in, uh, AFC Championship game against the Steelers. And for me, that was a that was a it was a, a, an emotional year. Right, got hurt, almost died, spent time in the hospital, came back. And when I came back, my job wasn't there anymore. Um, you know, and went through a lot of stuff. Tommy was nice enough to sprain his ankle against the uh, Steelers uh, just before halftime and uh, came in and we won that game and uh, uh, went to the Super Bowl. And uh, one of the most memorable things about that game, though, my dad surprised me. He showed up uh, in Pittsburgh, even though I wasn't playing. Right. Didn't know he was going to be there until Saturday when we landed. He's like, hey, kid, I'm here in town. Let me know if you want to swing by. So I went and saw dad and and. Uh, Next day, uh, we win the game. I bump on the stage. We're getting the uh, we're getting the uh, Lamar Hunt Trophy, the AFC Championship Trophy, and uh, I see my dad. He got on the field somehow. And every time, if we if we won a game and I and I kneeled down at the end of the game with you know for the last play, I would always keep that ball. And so I kept that ball. The ref came and tried to grab it from me. I was like, nope, I'm taking it. Um, and I saw my dad. He played tight end in in college and uh, in semi pro. So I saw dad out there and I threw him the ball. He caught it, nice eye contact, five points of contact, nice catch. Uh, and he's still got that ball sitting on his uh, bedside table in his oh, bedroom. That's sweet. So yeah, pretty cool. That's pretty cool. That was pretty cool. One more. The man you feared most on the other side oh, of the yeah, line. Oh, man, they were all terrifying. That's uh, got to be crazy. Those that does have to coming. just be insane. I know, yeah. like, Nadavik and Sue lives in Portland, and oh, someone man. I know saw him at playing hoops the other day, and I'm like, See that man coming at you full speed. Yeah, no, they're all terrifying. I remember my uh, my first game we played at Buffalo, and the Bills had been in the Super Bowl just a few months before that. So I'd watched them on TV, and now I'm in the league, and I'm warming up at Buffalo, playing catch, and Bruce Smith comes walking down the tunnel, and I'm like, dude, I'm in the wrong place. I don't want to be here right now. Like, dude, the guy's my height, 285 pounds, way faster than me. Um, it's a superhuman. Yeah, just an absolute superhuman. Um, you know, but, you know, once the, game, once the game starts, you don't have time to think about it. You know, you look at it after the fact. You're like, man, why would I do that? That seems really <laughs> dangerous. Um, but, no, there, it was, that part was really cool, too, because you're out there with some of the baddest humans on the planet, and uh, they're all trying to stop you, and you got to beat them. Um, it's really that's a, it's, it's cool. It's a cool chess match. I'm sure you're hurting at times, too. It's like, oh, God, I do. Oh, yeah, I man. I, it's, right it's, it's funny. You know, when I was early in my career, it was like, yeah, no, you get hit, but then you'd be sore on Monday, and then Tuesday you'd feel a little better. By Wednesday you were good. Later in my career, didn't feel good again until Friday. Um, but, and that's back when they could actually hit us, like we talked about earlier, man. They would hit you and try to hurt you. But. Yeah. Well, look, I think – that's you know all we want to talk so let's, about. So I want, and I'm sure you guys are going to edit this down, but yeah. Um, so why don't you why don't you throw this one at me, and okay. then are you, are you guys are going to edit this, right? I mean, we don't need to unless yeah. you want. Right. We usually it's we have. So, here, so, so here's so here's here's one thing that I think you guys will find interesting as you as you um, as you guys are, you know, working your way into business and and, and all of that. Um, one of the things that's been most interesting to me, going from my previous career to my current career is how much carryover there is at a high level. You know, the, 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 um, the same characteristics that allowed me to be successful as a football player carry very directly into business, right? 
So number one, it's about having a great team around you, right? You, know, you got to have the right people in the right places. And, uh, you know, you got to understand people's strengths and weaknesses, right? You know, in football, if you put me at left tackle, I'd try my ass off, but we're not going to be very good, right? And if you put Bruce Armstrong at quarterback, he'd try his ass off. We're not going to be very good. And so understanding how to put the pieces in place the right way. Um, it's understanding teamwork and self-sacrifice that, you know, your role within the team is very important, but the success of the team is more important than your personal success. And understanding that at a fundamental level. We have a bunch of athletes on our, that work for us at Doubleback, um, and they all understand that if you only do what you're told, that's never going to be enough. That's never going to allow you to be successful, right? Uh, you have to have perseverance, you know. Stuff goes wrong. Stuff goes wrong in sports. Stuff goes wrong in business. If you just spend time just crying about it, you know, you're just going to fail. But that adversity, and you, we, we've learned to embrace adversity in our business. When something goes wrong, we're like, okay, this is an opportunity to really get better. Not to the point where we try to make things break, but when something does go wrong, we're like, all right, cool. This is going to be a great opportunity to improve. And so you kind of look forward to adversity rather than fearing it. Um, you know, and then that just that fundamental work ethic that it takes to be successful as an athlete, you can never replace. Um, you know, it's, uh, and, and it's not just athletics, right? This could be drama. It could be anything when you're part of something that's bigger than yourself. Uh, but you understand that that responsibility for what you do has more impact than just yourself. And, and when you, if you can translate that into a, a business environment, then you have a chance to really be successful. So, you know, as athletes, as I know you guys are, and uh, as you go forward in life, make sure you hold on tight to those things that you learned in athletics and translate those into, uh, into what you're doing next. I love that, man. Yeah. Well, you're an inspiration. To end it, I hear uh, you're having some success on the e-foil. Yeah, man, I, uh, I I went and stole it from your uh, stole it from your garage and uh, and got out there, man. I was flying around for a little bit. Your your dad sent me a little uh, little uh, YouTube video with some lessons, and I'm I'm getting better, man. I'm that getting better. Fun. It's pretty fun. It's uh, I claim it's kind of a uh, it's a small man's device, man. I feel like I'm handicapped because I'm just you know tall and don't have very good balance. Um, but yeah, no, I'm getting better. I'm getting better. It's uh, I'm not sure I can, uh, you know, go from uh, my house and fly all the way over to your place quite yet, but I'm getting there. I love Sweet. it. Well, you're an inspiration. Really appreciate you taking the time to do this for yeah, us. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely, uh, man. Means a lot. So. Absolutely, man. No, Good it's luck to you in your wine business. And yeah. uh, oh, hold on, wait. Cheers. We can't. We can't cheers with empty glasses. Yeah, That's sure. bad luck. That's bad luck. Thank you. There we go. Sweet. We can't, we can't have bad luck. Cheers, 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 cheers guys. Thanks, 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 yeah. thanks Thank for you, coming bro. over. Appreciate you, man. Yeah. That's a wrap, baby. Let's go. Nice.